Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir. Thank you, instrumentalists, for leading us so well in worship this morning. So glad that you're here, and I'm certainly grateful for the opportunity to get to speak to you this morning. This morning, I want to talk to you about building. And I'm convinced we're all born builders. In fact, when you started physically building things, it was probably at a very young age. May have started with Lincoln Logs for you, maybe Tinker Toys, maybe you had an erector set. For my generation, it was Legos. We would craft primary colored magnificent structures to impress our family and friends. I was recently reminded of this truth that we're born builders when I spotted those familiar cardboard building blocks in one of our preschool classrooms. Those have been the predominant blocks for the preschool industry standard for building for decades. I watched for a moment as toddlers constructed teetering towers. You know what? I think some of those kids were building those towers only to knock them down. We have a name for those kinds of people, boys. <laughs> we create things. It's a part of our makeup, a part of who we are. Some of the things that we create, some of the things that we build are better than others. Are you familiar with the phrase, nailed it? You can use it in a myriad of different ways, but currently in our conversation, it's a sarcastic phrase that has gained popularity on the internet poking fun of our pictures and the problematic projects that we have. With online websites like YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest offering so many tutorials on craft making, cooking recipes, and countless other ventures, we often find ourselves inspired to bake that cake or build that farmhouse table that looks so great in the pictures, but they've learned to find our pictures and our efforts and put them up against the real picture and mock our efforts. And they say, nailed it. <laughs> Let me just give you a quick example of what that may look like. <laughs> Mom, why don't we make those cookie monster cupcakes I always wanted? Here you go, honey. Nailed it, right? Let me show you one more here. Yeah, there's that art project of Crayola that we're gonna do and did it just like the instructions said. It's funny though, and we laugh because we know exactly what that's like. We've been there. We follow the instructions as best we know how. We cross every T, we dot every I, and yet when it's finished, it looks nothing like the picture. The cake collapses. The table that was once destined for the dining room now seems sentenced to the storage shed. Sometimes we seek to build things into people too, don't we? Things like determination and work ethic, love, confidence, appreciation. With my kids, I try to build things into them that I hope will be a part of who they are. 
One of the things recently I've been trying to build into our youngest daughter is an appreciation for music, specifically hymns. They're so thick with theological truth. I remember when she was just a small baby, when she wouldn't sleep at night or she would wake up in the night and be upset and cry. We've all been there trying to give solace to a baby who won't sleep. I remember late in the night walking the perimeter of the inside of our house, just kind of bobbing and rocking this baby, hoping she would go back to sleep. And I would walk and I would rock her and she wouldn't go to sleep. And eventually I, I decided I would start singing to her and I would, I would sing softly to her hymns and it would work and she would begin to fall asleep. Some of you are thinking, you should have preached to her. You could have expedited the process. <laughs> Slowly she would fall to sleep. That's been a part of kind of our deal. And recently, now she's three, and just the other day, she was sitting next to me, and I began to kind of softly sing again a hymn close to her ear. She kind of sweetly moved back towards me to return what I was doing to her, and she moved close to my ear. She began to sing to me. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Teenage Mutant. Not everything we seek to build into people or construct with our lives works out how we planned. Well, this morning, I'm not really talking about the things that we physically build per se or the things that we used as kids to develop our motor skills and cognitive ability. What I'm really getting at is what we are laying up with our lives. Whether we know it or not, we are building something. Each day, laying bricks, hammering nails, constantly creating, working on something that does and will stand as a monument to those around us, a testament to who we are, what we love, what we're about. This morning, I want to mention a memorable mason in the Old Testament, a guy by the name of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the great Persian king, Artaxerxes. A cupbearer was much more than just a servant. It was a position of great duty and privilege. Every time there was a meal, the cupbearer would sample what the king would eventually drink. And in that time, and in that culture, most likely he would have taken the cup, poured some in his hand, tasted of it, proving that it wasn't poisoned, and eventually lightly passing it off to the king so he could drink. See, someone who served publicly in that position in proximity to the king had to really be somebody, cultured, well-versed in court procedures, able to both communicate with the king and when he's called upon to counsel the king to be able to do so. The cupbearer had direct access to the king. He was always a person of rank and importance. He possessed great influence. Now, Nehemiah could have joined this remnant of his people who had been back in their own land for some time, but he chose to remain at the king's service. 
in time, it would be evident that God had a great work before him, a work for him to accomplish. Nehemiah had been selected for Susa just as Esther before, much like God had placed Joseph in Egypt and Daniel was brought to, uh, to Babylon. When God wants to carry out kingdom construction, he carefully prepares and orchestrates his workers, putting them in the right place at the right time. Nehemiah provides us with some keys to kingdom construction. This morning, I want us to look at some snapshots throughout the book that will help us see a bigger picture of the Nehemiah narrative. This morning, I want to talk about Nehemiah. But this morning, I also want to talk about you. I believe that God's truth has the power to be transformational in our lives this morning. Turn on or turn in your Bible to the book of Nehemiah if you're not already there. We'll begin in chapter 1. Let's give God's word our complete attention together. Let's put our focus in on what he says to us Nehemiah chapter 1, I'll read the first six verses. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Keslev in the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital, that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews. that Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the captivity are in distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, beseech you, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you, I and my father's house, have sinned. See, the, the first key to kingdom construction I want you to consider this morning is this. Nehemiah was burdened to build. Burdened to build. Nehemiah hears of these tragic events and he just sits down and he weeps at the news that he's received. Have you been there before? Gotten the phone call, the text, the email that brings you to your knees, causes you to collapse on the couch? That's where the narrative of Nehemiah begins. The report just instantly dejects Nehemiah. It was his people, it was their land. The Jews and Judah were greatly distressed, even disgraced. Jerusalem's wall was broken down, its gates had been burned. And this left the city completely exposed. On receiving this dismal report, Nehemiah for days mourns and fasts and prays to God. He confesses the sin of the people, even his own sin. 
And he pleads to the Lord, remember your covenant mercy. Hear my prayer. The Lord certainly hears his prayer and begins to bless the building of the wall. He goes before the king. He's granted permission to leave and go to Jerusalem to start construction. In the midst of the rubble and the ruins, born out of brokenness, Nehemiah's heart is burdened to build. Inspired by God to do a great work. And all throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah would reference the plans that God had put in his heart. Have you heard the name George Muller? He lived in the 1800s. He used to walk across streets throughout England and be overwhelmed by seeing all the orphans who walked the streets. There they would walk and have to beg, have to fight to stay alive, to survive. No parents, no family to speak of. Many of them lived in state-run facilities and were treated very poorly. George had an experience where he began to be so burdened by the need. He began to pray and ask God, God help me. God help me build an orphanage. God, I see this need. You've placed a, a burden on my heart. Would you supply the needs that I have to do such a work? Over time, you may know that thousands and thousands of orphans were cared for because of the burden that was laid on George Muller's heart. Because he was willing to follow and carry out what God had called him to. He had a burden to build. Nehemiah would say things like, neither told I any man what God had put in my heart and God put it in my heart too. What plans has God put in your heart? What has he inspired you to build? Well, certainly his kingdom. What specifically? Is he calling you to build a relationship with someone maybe you wouldn't normally? Is he calling you to build a family that honors him? You know what, I'm, I'm convinced for some of us, our greatest contribution to the kingdom won't be something we do, it will be someone we raise. What plans has God put on your heart? Nehemiah is wrecked with the news, broken over a broken wall. Did you notice what happened? Nehemiah recognizes the waywardness of the nation, and he too recognizes his own sin. He, he cries out for forgiveness. What happens to us when we hear the news of tragedy in this world? How depraved our culture has become. Do we just shake our heads, proclaim what a shame? Or do we consider an opportunity for God to build through us? When was the last time you were broken over sin? When was the last time you were broken, brought to your knees over your own sin? A foundation, a foundation must be cleared 
for a building to be built, for Nehemiah to be used by God, for God to work through him, some things had to happen. That foundation had to be cleared. The sin that was there had to be moved aside, confessed before God could build what he desired to build. A foundation must be cleared for a building to be built. Before we get to be a part of kingdom construction, it could be we have a build site to clear. Often the debris of doubt, the wreckage of wrong, the scraps of sin are littered on the lives God wants to build upon. Do you have a foundation this morning that needs to be cleared? Nehemiah had a burden to build. God inspires him to do a great task. What is God inspiring you to do? What has he burdened you to build? Nehemiah was burdened to build, but he was also purposed to persevere. Would you turn over to chapter four, where we can see another snapshot in this Nehemiah narrative. Nehemiah chapter four, we'll read verses one, eight, and 10 there in the chapter. Now it came about that when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious, was very angry, mocked the Jews. Verse eight, all of them conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause a disturbance in it. Verse 10, thus in Judah it was said, the strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Nehemiah was burdened to build, but he was also purposed to persevere. Sanballat, an evil man, was upset when he heard that Nehemiah had returned to Jerusalem to help the Jews. His frustration turned to intense anger, and with the help of henchmen Tobiah and Geshem, Sanballat ridiculed the Jews. He accused them of rebelling against King Artaxerxes, suggested they weren't capable of completing this task. They were weak and competent. They were further ridiculed, saying that their craftsmanship was so poor. Nehemiah's work was so bad. The Jews' handiwork was so poor that if a fox were to walk across this wall, it would all come tumbling down. See, all these difficulties create an internal crisis in Judah, and it meant twice the trouble for Nehemiah. Not only were their enemies a constant threat to their security and well-being, but now many Jews were taking advantage of other Jews. The spirits of God's people were already low, but because of this outside pressure, along with exhaustion, fear, now things internally were nosediving even with God's people. But Nehemiah persevered through whatever he faced that might tempt him to quit on his calling. And listen, you can be sure there will always be people and problems that erode, chip away at what God has burdened you to build. Nehemiah's story is one of a builder who is purposed to persevere. It's probably been about eight years ago when I reconnected with a college friend in Houston over lunch. We began to talk for just a moment and he told me about this incredible journey that he had been on, a trip that he had just returned from and I don't know that I'll ever forget it. 
If you rewind from that time, just a couple years, he and his wife had started the long, arduous, but exciting process of adopting a child from Haiti. They were so excited, they were nearing the end, but then something terrible happened. The boy who they were going to adopt was walking one day outside and the earth began to shake beneath him. Buildings began to collapse around him. Screams were heard everywhere. He was gripped with fear. Back in the States, my friend and his wife were also gripped with fear and terror as they watched the news completely helplessly as the terrible events that happened on that January day happened when there was the Haitian earthquake. Of course, they tried and tried to contact the orphanage that had held the boy without success. Eventually, they were able to get a hold of him, and he was okay. He, he was scared, but God had spared him from any injury. As you might imagine, Haitian uh, orphanages exploded during that time because of all the parents who had been lost they had a very difficult time communicating during this period. And during this time, the U.S. worked out a deal where if you were actually adopting a child there in Haiti, you could, you could bring them to the U.S. and finish the adoption process there. But the, the authorities there lost his abandonment papers. Here they are. Haiti's in absolute bedlam, chaos. They can't get a hold of anybody. Finally, they do, and they figure out you're not a candidate for this. They can't bring him over because the papers have been lost. My friend decided he doesn't care how it has to happen, but he's got to get there. They begged together, he and his wife, for God to intervene, for things to work out. My friend was running on fumes when a friend who was a pastor called and said, hey, I want you to share what's going on in your life with my church. My friend says, you don't know, you don't want to know what I have to say right now. Eventually he agrees and by his own admission, God used him there and God used that time to, to work about some change in his heart and his life, to redirect his focus. It wasn't just but a couple hours later, he receives a phone call. Listen, I can't get you to Haiti, but I've got some extra miles and I can fly you to Florida. Can't get you any further, but I'm willing to give them to you. My friend was overwhelmed with the kind gesture. Not 30 minutes later, without any knowledge of the previous caller, another caller calls. You know what? I know about a private plane, a private mission leaving Florida to go to Haiti. There's one spot left. Can't get you to Florida, but I can get you from Florida to Haiti. My friend said he was overwhelmed, covered with chills, seeing what God was doing and how he was working. He landed in Haiti with just a backpack and a few granola bars. He was reunited with his boy and tears streamed down his face. The next morning they went to the embassy to take care of the process 
And, and what was supposed to take one day turned into two to three to sleeping on the embassy floor day after day. It wasn't until day 10 that he was able to secure his son. During that process, four times the papers were lost. He said it was kind of like some kind of movie, but little did he know during this process that the media in the States caught word of his story, began to spread like wildfire. Finally, their congressman and the White House intervened because the story had gained great ground during this time. And upon his return, he was interviewed by CNN and BBC and several other major media networks. He was purposed to persevere through this process. By the way, he, his son is starting his senior year in a high school in Houston. See, see, there's a man who was convinced of what God had called him to. Purposed to persevere. Burdened for the family he was to build. Don't quit on what you know God has burdened you to build. Don't leave what he's laid on your heart. Paul would tell the Galatians about perseverance this way, especially in the idea of planting truth. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Despite the problems, the people determined to see his demise, the temptation to quit, Nehemiah purposed to persevere till his hand and the project was done. Nehemiah was burdened to build, he was purposed to persevere, and finally he was focused on the finish. We flip over to chapter six and let's read just a few more verses here before we finish. Nehemiah chapter six, verses one through four, says this. Now when it was reported to Sanballat, Tobiah, to Geshem the Arab, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and that no breach remained in it, although at the time I had not set up the doors at the gates, then Sanballat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Shephram in the plain of Ono. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop when I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner and I answered them in the same way. Nehemiah was focused to finish. When Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and other enemies heard that the wall was almost finished and that the only thing that was remaining was to hang the doors in the gates, these wall opposers again went back to attempting to thwart the work. They tried in a myriad of ways to give opposition in a last-ditch effort to stop construction. Eventually, it would appear that Sanballat, his fellow detractors, wanted to have peace with with Nehemiah and those building the wall, but they had a hidden motive. They wanted to harm Nehemiah. Nehemiah suspected their evil motives. Four times they sent the same message trying to get Nehemiah off the wall, and he responded four times with the same refusal. Nehemiah never loses focus. When distractions from detractors come, he keeps working, keeps his focus, remembering what he's been called to. 
See that as a banner over what God burdens you to build. What he calls you to construct. When distractions come, and they will come. When detractors come, and they will be there. Over what God has called you to build, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. When God burdens you to build, there will be plenty of distractions to take your eyes off what God's called you to. But Nehemiah stayed focused through the fire of the people's frustration, through the frenzy of exhausting work, through the fear of harm from his enemies. Sometimes even good things can take us away from the one thing God has burdened us to build. There'll always be something or someone ready and willing to catch our eye, steal our focus. We must learn to stay focused, resolve to say that I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Nehemiah was tethered to that wall. He wouldn't leave, anchored to what God had put in his heart, called him to build. Do you? What are you tied to? The best builders, they're focused on the finish. What about you? What are you building? Maybe the wall you've been building is between you and your God. Are you burdened to build, purposed to persevere, focused on the finish? These are keys to kingdom construction. The Psalms would teach us that our best building efforts apart from God are all in vain because if the Lord doesn't build the house, then those that labor, labor in vain. As believers, when we fulfill our calling, follow our burden to build our structures, the structures may differ slightly, but be sure we're all commissioned by the same contractor. And in the heart of every believer is to hear him say, well done. See, whether we know it or not, we're building something. Each day, laying bricks, hammering nails, constantly creating, working on something that does and will stand as a monument to those around us, a testament to who we are, what we love, what we're about. See, when this wall was completed, it was Incredible. It was a mon monumental accomplishment carried out in record time, and Nehemiah's fingerprints were all over it. When this wall was finished around Jerusalem, people were saying, this couldn't have just happened with Nehemiah, just with these people. There had to be something more to it, something else going on. They said, surely this is only a work that God could have wrought. What will they say of the life that you've built? Only God could have done what she accomplished. Only the Lord could have worked in such a mighty way through his life. Don't you settle for any kind of other building than that. 
I want us to consider these kingdom constructions this morning. These keys to kingdom construction. And I guess the question that we're really left with is, what is your life building? And when your life is over, and the dust from kingdom construction finally settles, will it reveal your fingerprints? Will you pray with me? God, thank you for a chance to be here together. God, thank you for an opportunity to read your word. God, to hear it, to speak it. Lord, it is true that we are laying up things with our lives. We are building something with our life's effort. God, we want to follow this example in Scripture. We want to follow it out and carrying, carrying out construction in what you've called us to build, to be faithful to do your work here on earth. Lord, will you help us in it? Lord, those of us who need to clear a foundation, God, for you to once again build in our lives, God, help us to have that courage, to have that confidence that we can come before you ask for forgiveness, and you once again will use us. God, maybe this morning there are those who don't know you as Savior. God, I pray today would be the day they come to know you as Savior. In Christ's name we pray, amen.